On today's episode of the Mystery Kids Podcast, we'll be talking about the Chernobyl disaster. Welcome to the Mystery Kids Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to our June episode. I hope you are having a wonderful summer, no matter what it looks like. I hope it's been a great one. So we are here today, and I'm so excited about this episode. It's one I've wanted to do for a long time, but there's a lot to it. So we gotta we gotta hurry and get down to it. But first, the birthdays. If you have not done it before, make sure to check out or our website or our show notes to go fill out for your birthday month form. So here we go. We're going to get started. We've got Isabella H. from San Marcos. Happy birthday. Vaden, Isabella Harris, G- Jenna, sorry, I'm going to make sure I say it right, Jenna, <laughs> Julia Adamak, Jacqueline, Savannah, Nathan, Layla Lawrence, Ronan, Archer, Emma, Rhett, Lincoln. I'll oh, gotta love a good Lincoln. And then another Lincoln. We got Lincoln Wade. So we got two Lincolns. So happy June birthday. It's also my wonderful Jamie's birthday. He just turned six this weekend. We love him so much. His name's Jameson. And he picked out the episode for the patron bonus episode about animals. And this one's going to be all about snakes. We're going to talk about the fastest snake. We're going to talk about the most dangerous, deadly snake, all the different snakes, mainly because he couldn't pick out his favorite snake. So we're going to highlight all of the snakes. So don't forget to check out that episode. Also, if you're new around here, head over and become a Patreon or a subscriber. A Patreon is on patreon.com. And a subscriber, you both get the exact same thing. The only difference is where you get it from. That's $5. Um, so you get two extra bonus episodes a month for being a $5 member. And just thank you so much. And also if you become a patron, make sure to put at the top of your Patreon form. Um, I have a LinkedIn, like a pinned post that says to add your name so I can shout out your name as a patron to thank you for being here. We did get several new patrons next last month. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate every single one of you for keeping this podcast going and your two bonus episodes should be up pretty darn quick. This month is going to be about the missing white bird, which is not what you think it is. And then the snakes episode that was prompted by Jameson for his birthday. So go check those out. All right, let's get started on the disaster of Chernobyl because this is going to be, going to be a fun one, but also kind of crazy. Now the premise of the Chernobyl disaster is that it happened. It was a nuclear disaster that occurred on April 26, 1986. And this happened at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Pripyat, Ukraine. Um, And at that time, the Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. So this disaster, it affected hundreds of thousands of people. And it was one of the worst accidents of a nuclear power in our history. So this one is just, it's, it's got a lot to it. And it's a, it's a sad, interesting story. And also the the effects that lasted until this day. I mean, this didn't just affect 1986, this affected generations of people, but also this is still 
it's still a zone that is completely clear today. And it, I find it absolutely fascinating, but also it, it's kind of creepy if you look at pictures today of what it looks like because it's completely deserted. People literally had to run and leave and get out of there and were not allowed to go back for anything they had there. So let's jump into the timeline, the story of what happened for the Chernobyl disaster. Now, according to kids.kittle.co, all about the uh, Chernobyl disaster, this event was one of the worst accidents in the history of nuclear power. It was rated at a level seven, which is the most severe level you can get um, on the international nuclear event scale. Now, the only other accident with another level seven rating is the Fukushima accident, which happened in 2011. I'm a, let me check that out for sure. Yes, March 11th, 2011. And that's when um, there was a tsunami in um, off the coast of Japan. And so this Fukushima um, nuclear power plant was hit. And so they had to leave the area. Craziest thing. I remember my, um, my cousin was there during that incident. And oh my gosh, it was just, it was crazy because that one was in my lifetime. This one was just out of my lifetime by just a couple years. I just barely got out of the Chernobyl. Um, but it is crazy when a natural disaster happens while you're alive and you can actually remember it. Absolutely crazy. So because the reactors on this nuclear plant had no containment building to keep the radiation in, radio radioactive fallout drifted over parts of the Western Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, Scandinavia, and the UK, and the Eastern United States. Large areas of Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia were badly contaminated, and about 60% of the radioactive fallout landed in Belarus. Now that means about 360,000 people needed to be moved to other places where they could live after the incident. In addition, many people suffered long-term illnesses and some people were even diagnosed with thyroid cancer and acute radiation poisoning after the whole incident. Now, I, I may not be very good at explaining this. That's why I'm taking it from um, like the kid's dictionary because this for me is, I, I don't understand nuclear power. This all goes way over my head, um, but here we go. So before the accident, there was an actual planned power reduction. By the beginning of the day shift, the power level had reached 50%. Now following this randomly, one of the regional power stations went offline. It was then requested that the further power reduction would be postponed. Now, despite this request, the reduction and the preparations for a test that was happened kept continuing. Now, the accident occurred when the fourth reactor suffered a huge power increase. Now, this led the core of the reactor exploding. The explosion was so powerful that it blew the 1,000 ton steel lid off the reactor. A, a thousand ton, not a thousand pounds, a thousand ton steel lid off the reactor. So this was a massive explosion. Now, due to this explosion, large amounts of radioactive material and fuel were released. Now, this caused the neutron moder moderator made of graphite to start to burn. 
The fire caused more radioactive fallout to be released, which was carried by the smoke of the fire into the environment. Reactor 4 was covered by a sarcophagus made of steel and concrete to stop the escape of more radiation from elements such as corum, uranium, and plutonium, as well as radioactive dust. The sarcophagus was covered in 2016 with a new safe confinement structure. So they basically put a sarcophagus, a coffin over the top of it, made of steel and concrete to make sure that no more radiation will leak. And one of the biggest problems about radiation is you can't see it. This is not the same as a, a fire, a tornado, a hurricane. Like you can see those things happening. You cannot see radiation. So you could think, oh, well, everything seems fine and dandy, but you go around with one of those like little radiation machines and it's just going off like crazy. So that's one of the scariest parts is this happened, but people wouldn't be able to recognize the leak unless there were the, the systems and the programs in place to be able to see it. Now, according to history.com, it goes into the safety test. Now, that's what set the stage for the meltdown. So they were literally doing a safety test when this happened. And it's interesting because they go into the timeline of talking about how on February of 1986, so the exact same year, just a few months before, a Soviet official is quoted saying that the odds of a nuclear meltdown are one in 10,000 years. By this time, the Chernobyl site contains four 1,000 megawatt reactors plus two additional reactors that are under construction. So how did the safety test go down? This was April 25th at um, 1 a.m. So just a couple months later, 1 a.m., Chernobyl's operators began begin reducing the power at reactor number four in preparation for the safety test, which they have timed to coincide with a routine shutdown for maintenance. The test is supposed to determine whether, in the event of a power flight failure, the plant still spinning turbines can produce enough electricity to keep coolant pumps running during a brief gap before the emergency generator kicks in. Now, this is the thing that brings its whole demise down. Literally a safe test brings it completely down. So I'm going to, I'm just going to go with my gut here and say, um, it didn't work, but you know, I'll tell you the whole story. Maybe you can figure that out for yourself. So, um, this was at 1am this happened at 2pm. So not one, not 2am, 2pm reactor number four's emergency core cooling system is disabled to keep it from interfering with the test. Though this doesn't cause the accident, it actually worsened the impact. Now, around the same time, the test and the shutdowns are temporarily delayed to accommodate the region's power needs. So I don't know if that was coincidence, if it was an accident, um, basically things got shut down, which made it even worse. So by 11.10 p.m., operators received permission to continue with the test and shut down. By now, the less experienced night shift is on the job, which per, which was like they never received the proper instructions on how to do this safety test. So the switch over from different people doing it, they don't know what they're doing, but they're like, okay, I guess we'll just go with the whole thing, not receiving all the information that they needed.
And then on April 26th at 12.28 a.m., power plummets far below the level which the reactor is considered stable. Operators respond by removing most of the control rods, which is in violation of the plant safety guidelines, yet they still have trouble raising the power because of the xenon buildup in the core. Now, hopefully one of you is just like, oh, I know exactly what she's saying. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what a xenon, xenon buildup is. Um, but it, it basically, every every bit of this piece runs together for a reason, right? And so now they're taking parts out. They're trying to hurry and figure this out because they know the destruction that can happen if this blows up, right? So this is at 1228 a.m. By 1 a.m., the power stabilizes. It was at a lower level. They didn't want it to be that low. And the plant supervisors order the test to proceed. So they see, oh, the levels are pretty low, but let's just keep going with the safety test. We just got to check off this box. The automatic emergency shutdown system and other safety features are turned off. So at 123 a.m., um, which they even put seconds in here because this happened so quickly. 1.23.04 a.m., the test officially begins and an unexpected power surge occurs. And this is at 1.23.40 a.m. An operator presses the emergency shutdown button, but the control rods jam as they enter the core. At 1.23.58 a.m., so this all happens within one second. No, not one second. Yeah, one minute. One minute. <laughs> one full minute. So less than 60 seconds this all occurs together. The first explosion to be quickly followed by at least one more blows the 1,000 ton roof right off the reactor and shoots a fireball high into the night sky. A blackout roils the paint plant as the air fills with dust and graphite chunks and radiation begins spewing out. Walls and equipment collapse and dozens of fires start up, including one on top of the neighboring reactor. Despite all of evidence to the contrary, the nuclear engineer in charge of the test insists that reactor number four is still intact. He later dies of radiation poisoning. Well, all right, timely fate there. Um, but like, so he's sitting there going, watches all this happen. He's like, it seems like number four is still working great. Number four is not working great. Okay. It is not working great. Everything is falling apart now. We are now at 1.28 AM on April 26th. The first firefighters arrive to the scene. So this happens within minutes. They have no knowledge of the radiation and they are wearing no protective clothing. They think just a fire has broken out. They have no idea. They are about to walk in on a complete radiation nightmare. So at 2.15 a.m., local Soviet officials convene an emergency meeting in which they decide to block cars from exiting or entering Pripyat, a nearby city that was built to house Chernobyl workers. The police officers assisting with the roadblock likewise have no knowledge of the radiation and wear no protective clothing. So they decide, let's have this meeting. We're to block off this city so no one can leave or come into the city. While everyone that's doing the roadblocking has no idea that there is radiation leaking at that point. At 5 a.m., the officials shut down reactor number three to be followed the next morning. So not until the next morning, they closed down number one and two, and they are reopened months later. 
And then at 6.35 a.m., by now, all fires have been extinguished except for a blaze in the reactor core, which will burn for several more days. By 10 a.m., helicopters began dumping sand, clay, boron, lead, and dolomite into the burning core in an attempt to slow the radioactive emissions. So they just start going over and start pouring things on top of it. And by 2 p.m., so 2 p.m., After telling residents nothing, so no one's heard anything about the disaster for 36 hours. This is the, so this is the 27th. Sorry, I didn't realize a whole day has passed since the explosion. This is about a day and a half. It's 36 hours. Soviet officials began evacuating roughly 115,000 people from Pripyat, as well as the nearby towns and villages. Residents will be informed it will be temporary. They'll only pack some vital documents and belongings, plus some food. Soon after, an exclusion zone is set up around Chernobyl that prevents them from ever returning. So they didn't even tell the people like exactly what was going on. They just said, you're just going to pack a few things. This is just temporary for your safety. We'll be right back. They were never going to be right back. And then April 28th, Swedish air monitors detect a large amount of radiation in the atmosphere, which is traced back to the USSR. Soviet officials admit now there's been an accident, but they falsely state the situation is under control. So now Swedish, a whole different country, Sweden is like in the air and going, oh my gosh, you guys, there's radiation everywhere. And the USSR is like, no we're fine. Everything is under control. Then by April 29th, a spy satellite is sent and photos provide the U.S. officials with their first glimpse of the devastation wrought by the Chernobyl disaster. May 1st, Soviet officials refused to cancel the May Day festivities in Kiev, even as radiation continues to be released. May 4th, liquid nitrogen is pumped underneath a dead reactor in order to cool it. Other aspects of the cleanup, which involves up to 800,000 workers, including bulldozing, contaminating the villages, shooting contaminated pets and livestock, and burying huge amounts of contaminated topsoil. So they start this massive cleanup within, what, like a week and a half? May 6th, radioactive emissions drop sharply, possibly because the fire in the core has finally burned itself out. Meanwhile, Soviet officials finally closed schools in Kiev and advised residents to stay inside and not eat any leafy vegetables. So it's now taken them a week and a half to tell the residents they're not allowed to go outside anymore and not to eat. Because at that point in time, it wasn't like they went to grow. They actually made most of their own groceries. So now they're like, "Um, by the way, your broccoli, you just grew out of your own garden. Don't eat that. Okay. That might be real bad for you. Then May 8th, the workers finished draining about 20,000 tons of radioactive water from the basement under core. Absolutely crazy. So now, I mean, even till today, they are still trying to do things to get this back in line because there still is radiation in the area. I mean, this happened 30, what, almost almost 40 years ago that this was dealt with and they are still dealing with it. The thing that makes me most sad is that they didn't tell the people that lived there. That just makes me so sad. They wanted to, they felt it was more important to cover it up than to tell the people what was actually happening. 
So according to a 2005 report, it tells that there were 56 direct deaths. Of those, 47 were accident workers and nine were children who died of thyroid cancer. The report thinks that up to 4,000 people may die from long-term diseases relating to the accident. Um, but there's other estimates that range from 4,000 to 27,000 because it's really hard to determine if someone ends up with cancer if it came from Oh, because they were in a radiation zone, right? Um, there's, I, I mean, there's even more like estimates that have come up that there's between 93,000 and 200,000 people that died as a result of this disaster. And how many would have been lessened if they would have said, this is, this is bad. We got to get people out of this area immediately and actually went through the safety protocols that they were supposed to, um, which I mean, one great thing that came out of this is that there are even more um, protection and laws and things that are in place to make sure that safety protocols are being followed. Because I will say, even though the one in Fukushima happened, it did not have this crazy of an effect um, because they took they went directly to their safety protocols and what they were supposed to do to evacuate people and get people out of the area right off the bat. That's not to say that there's not going to be long-term effects from people that were in the area when it happened. Absolutely crazy. And definitely one of the worst accidents in history, maybe not by sheer number of people that died, but the fact that it's something that people around the entire area and such a large area were affected by. I hope you have a fantastic summer and we'll see you next time on the Mystery Kids Podcast. Thanks for listening.